And uh, <clears throat> while we are uh, turning there, I, uh, I generally, since we've started live streaming, I have uh, had my phone. And so we have got a host of people uh, here with us tonight that are online. Uh, the Wales family, the Kovacs, Sister Nikki Mitchell, uh, Sister Barbara Shepherd. Ebony Cannon and five other people and uh, we have the uh, Ulrys, uh, the Hudsons, uh, Daniel Forrest, the Pattersons, Mike and Jill is extreme. They're eight hours ahead so it's um, four o'clock in the morning over there in Romania. Sister Aaron, Jacob Puckett, uh, Alf, Booth, uh, the Sanders, the Reddens, um, Sister Money, uh, Tabitha uh, Hines, uh, Sister Sanford up in Virginia, Patricia McAdams, um, Sister Naomi Mitchell, Sister Jeanette McCurley, um, Mary Horton, Michael Simmons, uh, Iona Dunn, um, Kim Redden, Daryl Birch, Lucas family up in North Dakota. Um, I, I'm glad y'all are with us. Appreciate y'all being here, and, and our church is clapping right now. I don't know if you can hear that. Uh, we're, we're glad y'all are with us, and uh, wish you were here with us. Uh, but we we are we're moving in the right direction, and uh, just pray that the Lord would would continue to tr- to to touch and to minister to the needs that you have in your life. I would like for you to look with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4, and let's look in verse 7. The Bible says there, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord The righteous judge shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. And I want to preach to you here tonight about the magnetism of the finish line. And uh, I pray that whenever we're finished, you're going to feel encouraged and strengthened uh, because there is a finish line that's in front of us. And we have got to make it across the finish line. Amen. Let's ask the Lord to touch his word here tonight. Lord, we are thankful for your spirit. Thankful, Lord, for Lord the singing, the praying. Lord, just the feeling, uh, there's faith, Lord, that's in this building. I, I've sensed it. I pray, Lord, that those that are here, God, that they sense that same amount of faith as well. And yet, Lord, I know that there's a path that you have set out, Lord, for every one of us. I pray, God, that you help us, Lord, to, to keep our eye on distractions. Lord, don't let us walk in the counsel of the ungodly. I pray, Lord, that that somehow that, that we don't stand, Lord, with sinners. And God, that we don't find ourselves in the seat of the scornful, but help us, Lord, 
to be men and women that have roots, Lord, that are deeply planted, Lord, by the rivers of water that you supply. Help us, Lord, to bear fruit. I pray, Lord, tonight, God, don't let our lives, Lord, be filled with chaff and and waste, but help us, Lord, to be fruitful, God. Help us, Lord, to be firmly grounded, Lord, in the foundation, God, that you want us to stand on. Lord, you promised that the gates of hell would not prevail against your church. And I'm asking you, Lord, tonight that you would help all of us, God, to put our trust and our confidence, Lord, in you and in your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The magnetism of the finish line. I have um, mentioned so many times Pilgrim's Progress, and um, I uh, suppose that it's it's a book that uh, I just believe that that all of you ought to, ought to read and and spend some time uh, with because it is a it is just a wonderful book. Uh, for you to have and to invest your time in. I've got probably 15 copies of it, various publishers. Uh, I've got one copy that a few years ago when I took a trip to Nebraska, I managed to run across a a used one in a bookstore uh, there in Nebraska, and and the book was was over 100 years old. And uh, surprisingly, I paid less than $10 for that book, and uh, it's in excellent condition, and uh, Sarah Butler has, um, in the process of of drawing, sketching uh, me some scenes out of Pilgrim's Progress, and I'm going to put up uh, in various places around my study, and it's a it's just a story uh, that that just grips your mind and your spirit when you start giving consideration to it. Early on in that in that book, in fact, in the first chapter, uh, Christian starts out his journey, and and if you've seen pictures of it, there is a huge burden. It's like a burlap sack that he has on uh, his back, and and it's weighting him down, and and uh, that burden there, he feels like it's just going to cause him to sink lower and lower until he literally is in. Uh, hell, that he literally is at a place where that uh, he has no hope. And he runs across a man uh, by the name of Evangelist, and he begins to relate his dilemma uh, to Evangelist. And Evangelist begins uh, to talk to him, and he said, Sir, he said, uh, if this is your condition, then why are you just standing here? And Christian looks back at him and his response is, well, sir, I don't know which way to go. I don't know where uh, to go in, in this. And he said, what am I supposed to do if I don't know which way to go? And so Evangelist points out uh, in a direction and he says, do you see the narrow gate over there? And, and uh, at that time, he's not Christian. He's just a man. And uh, he says, no, he says, I I don't see the gate. And so then 
evangelist looks and he says, well, do you see that great shining far off over there? And and at that point, the Christian looks up and he begins to see that bright, glimmering light that's over there. And he says, yes, he said, I can see that. And, and so evangelist relates to him. He said, well, that uh, is the celestial city. And he said, what I want you to do is, he said, I want you to start walking in that direction. And he said, you will come to the narrow gate. And he said, the man that is keeping the gate there is going to tell you what that you are supposed to do to free yourself of the burdens that is on your back. And, and uh, so Bunyan, in that dream that he's having, in that allegory that he's writing about, uh, about. He says that whenever the man starts running toward the gate, he's not in that direction very far uh, along before people in the city began to cry out to him and they began uh, to tell him that he needs to turn around and come back in the other direction. There's some that mock him and they laugh at him because of the direction that he has chosen to go into. And, and there's some that, that not only mock him, they threaten him. There's others that they begin to plead with him and they begin to tell him that you've got to turn around, but he does a very commendable thing. And, and you would think that this is almost childish, but what this man does is he puts his hands in his ears and he begins to run forward and he's crying out, life, 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 life. And he does not want to hear those voices that are calling out to him. And so it is that he begins his journey and because he moves through the gate and looks out at the shining over there, the celestial city, he begins to realize that that uh, is the finish line and, and there are things that happen to him all along the way. He runs into a multitude of characters and all of those characters are doing their best to either encourage him or discourage him in uh, his direction that, that he is going and I would relate to you here tonight that we all fall in to that category that there will be people and situations that you have to take place in your life, whether they will be an encouragement to you or they will be a discouragement to you for you to go uh, and make it to heaven. I read a story, another story, I probably read too much, but uh, I read a book a number of years ago and there was a man that was being interviewed uh, as an executive for a Fortune 500 company and he got down to the part of the interview and, and the, the CEO of the company that was going was gonna to hire him said, Sir, uh, what are the goals that you have in your life? And he immediately tells this man, he said, Well, sir, he said, my first goal is that I would make it to heaven. And that was almost like the man had been thunderstruck because 
most people don't even think about that in their life. When you begin to ask them, what is the goal that you have for your life? I believe that here tonight that every single one of us need to have that goal in our lives where that whatever may take place in this walk of life, that the number one goal that drives you in your life is for you to make it and to go to heaven. The scripture that I read to you here tonight is an important uh, two verses in your Bible. That's not minimizing and saying that, that all of the others aren't important, but these are some words that we read here tonight that very well could have been an epitaph placed on the life of Paul. In fact, as you read it there, Paul's choice is this, that, that he is determined in his life, that he is is going to fight the fight that has been placed in front of him and that he is going to finish his course and he is going to keep the faith there. There's nothing else in the life of Paul that really matters in all of that, that there is a part where that, that he says that the great and the valuable lesson of life is that I would do these things, fight and run and keep the faith that is given to me in my life. Not I want to preach to you here tonight about Paul. Not Paul the theologian that wrote more than half of the New Testament that you hold in your hands. I don't want to talk to you tonight about Paul the missionary that established churches all around the then known world there. He took three missionary journeys and then a four trip that he took uh, to Rome. I don't want to talk to you tonight about Paul, that great man of faith that was willing in his life that whatever obstacle or challenge that he faced that he still pressed forward. I want to preach to you here tonight about Paul, the man that was a hopeful man. He was a man that, that knew that there was a crown, that there was a finish line that was in front of him there as he started out in that race there. He wrote this to the church there in Corinth. Familiar passage, I hope, for you tonight. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 51. He said, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ therefore my beloved brethren be ye steadfast unmovable always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord that 
is the hopeful Paul. That is the Paul that is telling us that there is something that is wonderful and it is magnificent in every one of our lives. For thousands of years, debt has been called a variety of names. It has been called the grim reaper. It's been called the the phantom. It has been called uh, so many things that would put fear into the hearts and lives of all of us but something happened whenever Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead on that wonderful Easter morning and the Bible tells us that he took part of the first fruits and because of that there is something that is in my life and in my spirit that now that I need not be afraid or fearful of death. Will there be a sting of loss? Absolutely. All of us have been at times where that we have gone to funerals. Our church, I've been involved in three funerals here in the last four weeks. And then Sister Sonia Wells passed away last week. And Brother Ray Johnson passed away last week as well. We look at that and that there is a weeping that goes on because of brothers and sisters that have departed parted from this life but listen to me church if they were filled with the Holy Ghost then there's something about it that they are in a much better place than what we would ever even begin to realize here tonight and I just want to tell you this I don't have a death wish but I would just say here tonight that there's a part of me that's longing for the finish line that's longing to get to the other place I look at this world and this world holds nothing for me anymore. The only thing is that I would be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, that there would be peace, that there would be joy, that there would be power, and that there would be strength whenever we are in the presence of the Lord. And now Paul, he takes up that part, that that part. He's facing death and, and he starts remembering some of his early days whenever he sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He remembers what Job wrote in Job 19 and verse 25. Job said, for I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though, my, and though after my skin worms destroy this body yet in my flesh shall I see God whom I shall see for myself and mine eyes shall behold and not another though my reins be consumed within me the reins there you could interchange that perhaps for the the inner organs that are on the inside of our body Paul remembered what Isaiah's words were Isaiah 26 and 19 thy dead men shall live together with my dead bodies shall they arise awake and sing ye that dwell in dust for thy dew is as the dew of herbs and the earth shall cast out the dead and there was a stirring in Paul as he remembered that and then he writes the words to Timothy that I read to you here tonight I've fought a good fight I have finished my course I have kept the faith henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge 
shall give me at that day, but not to me only, Timothy, but unto all them also that love his appearing. These words would incite that early church, but now 2,000 years later at 1745, Coderi Road with a group of apostolics. Then that same word that Paul wrote to Timothy somewhere around 64, 65 AD, that now that they are speaking to us, even in our generation, rage on all you want to, Caesar. Do everything you can, Nero, that you may destroy a man, but you don't destroy his soul, nor you do you destroy his words. And there, there is something that I want to tell the church here tonight, that by the power of scripture that we have the ability to know that there's a finish line that's coming. There's a voice that shouts, there is a crown that's waiting for you. You look back at some of the things that Paul endured there at that town called Lystra. The Bible tells us that some of the rabble got all stirred up there and, and uh, they began to go after Paul and the Bible tells us that they stoned him and it was almost like that Paul was fixing to repeat the death of Stephen there and so with blood gushing out of his battered body they take him out to the edge of town and, and somewhere along the way during the night during the day something happened and there was a miracle that came along and began to revive Paul and what was it that Paul did the Bible tells us that he stood up he didn't run in the other direction but he decided that what he needed to do was go walk right back into the very same place where he had had to endure all of that struggle there I want to encourage you saint of God here tonight that there may be things that you're challenged by there may be things that you feel like has literally broke you into but by the power and the strength of the Holy Ghost if God raises you up you ought to turn around and go right back to the point of conflict and go right back to the point where you're going to say I'm going to worship God anyway brother Paul Miller I'm going to lift my hand and I'm going to lift my voice. My voice may not be as strong and my muscles may not have the same tenacity that they have had in the past, but I'm going to tell you no matter what battle is coming in my direction, I'm going to lift up the name of the Lord. I'm going to exalt him. I'm going to help him. Oh, in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus. You listen to those people there in Lystra and, and they say that they're gonna take up stones and they're gonna threaten the righteous but the magnetism on the finish line is what is pulling Paul toward that. It's moving him toward a destiny. Bruises may be on his body, cuts. He may have endured from all of the stones there but there's a finish line that Paul knows about and it's pulling him in the direction of his future reward. I believe that that can be the case for every one of us here tonight that there's a finish line that is in our midst and somewhere beyond the here and the now. It says we're gonna make it. 
we're going to finish. You know that old song we used to sing? Sometimes I'm going to make it. I've got what it takes and I'm going to make it. There ought to be times where that you let that little old chorus stir around in your heart and in your spirit where there's a willingness that you begin to say, I'm going to make it all the way in. I'm going to finish the race that the Lord has put in front of me and I'm going to fight the fight that he has placed in front of me. It's all in your attitude and sometimes you have to say somebody's going to heaven it may as well be me. Somebody's going to a land that's flowing with milk and honey it may as well be me that gets into that place. Somebody's going to have a revival it may as well be me. Somebody's going to be a prayer warrior it may as well be me. Somebody's going to be a worshiper it may as well be me and yet people would say well you've got this obstacle and you've been stoned and you're having to deal with this situation or that set of circumstances there ought to be something to rise up on the inside and say somebody's gonna do what God said through faith it may as well be me somebody's gonna have God's promises fulfilled in their lives it may as well be me that has those promises is fulfilled in their life. The crown is calling. The finish line is calling church. And on the inside of every one of us here tonight, we ought to say, I'm not staying here. I'm not staying where I'm at. I'm moving forward. And the Lord is going to help me. Let's clap our hands to the Lord here tonight. Jesus. No, in the name of Jesus. In the name of the Lord, that crown should remind us of our promise. It should remind us that that there's something about it that the starting point means that that there's a finish line that's out there somewhere and that that we're going to leave this old paradigm. We're going to leave this old mindset. We are going to leave this old world behind. And uh, I want to tell you the finish is brighter than what's going on right now. And uh, I, I thought about this, I guess. Brother Patterson talking about our electricity bill. I thought to myself that we ought to, even though, we, we, even though it's, it's up there a little bit, we ought to be thankful that we at least got some lights on and we're having to run the air in here to keep all y'all comfortable and And at least we're not like those two big old churches that runs multi-thousands that their electricity bill may be, I don't know, $400 to run that whole edifice because it's running their little few little computers and a few little night lights here and there. I thought to myself, and Brother Patterson said that about the electricity bill, it would to God a revival would come through here, that our electricity bill would be doubled because we would be in this place every night and that there would be people that were being born into 
the kingdom of God and that they were being filled with the Holy Ghost. There's a price tag that comes with revival. And I want to encourage the church that even though we built this place, then there ought to be something about it that we say that God still has an intention. God still has a purpose that we did more than just build a nice building so everybody could walk by. But we built a building knowing that there's a finish line and that my children and my grandchildren and your children and your grandchildren that they're going to be delivered and they're going to be saints and children of God that that's what the church is about. There's a brighter day in front of us, church. The second thing that we have to understand about this is that these are not Paul's words, but they literally are the word of God. That whenever you read your Bible, that whenever you look at Scripture, here's what I want to try to get you to grasp here tonight, that these are more than words that are just written by men, that when you hold that Bible in your hand and you start looking through those Scriptures, that those Scriptures are literally the words of God. Now, I'm going to slip this in right here, and uh, I hope I say it right. And I hope you hear it right. So let me take a chance because I generally am not the most diplomatic person in the world, but let me just throw this out here for your consideration. If you have no interest in the Scriptures, whether you're reading them in private devotion or whether you're reading them out loud, if you don't have any interest in the Word of God, if you don't have any interest in hearing somebody preach or teach, I would say that you ought to seriously give consideration to your spiritual state because what you're saying is this, is you have no interest in what God has said. If ever there ought to be a church as a word church, it ought to be this church. We ought to immerse ourselves in the scriptures. Why? Because these are not the words of Moses. They're not the words of David or Asaph. They're not the words of the sons of Korah or Matthew or Mark or Luke or John or Paul or Peter or Jude or John that these are the words of God and that there's something about it that you can pray the scriptures you can speak the scriptures and you can understand that you can build your life on the scriptures because they are the word of God and so it was that Moses is, if you didn't know this, you probably do know this, but Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Some people refer to it as the Torah. There's others that refer to it as the Pentateuch. But the first five books of your Bible were written uh, by Moses. What is remarkable about that is from Exodus all the way to uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. All the way from Exodus, see, I'm not as smart as y'all thought I was. See, Exodus to Deuteronomy, Moses wrote those words. And, and here's what's unique about that. He actually saw all of that that was going on from Exodus all the way to Deuteronomy. But think about this for a moment. That Moses didn't come on the scene until 300 years later after the end of Genesis comes about. So how in the world did Moses gather in what something that he did not see? It was because of the that God said, let me tell you something, Moses. He said, I'm gonna get you so connected up with me that I'm gonna take you back 
and I'm gonna let you see what happened in the Bible. I got a feeling that some of the stuff that Moses saw on the mountain, that he didn't just see the order of worship that was laid out toward the end of Exodus and all the order for the priesthood that was laid out in the book of Leviticus, but the Lord took him back and he said, I tell you what, he said, Moses, you stay right here and I'm just gonna pass by and you're gonna be able to see my back as I pass by and Moses is sitting there. This is amazing. This is better than any IMAX that you've ever been to in your life that whenever Moses is sitting there at Mount Sinai, the Lord starts showing him creation. He starts showing him everything that took place before Moses ever got on the scene and in a day where that we have all of this stuff that somehow wants to appeal to your attention. Netflix is trying to choke you down. Amazon Prime Video is trying to choke you out and then you look at the word of God and you think, oh man, it's just so boring that's in this book. Listen to me. You can bank on what is written in the word of God. All those TV shows, all those movies, all of that ignorance is gonna pass away but the word of the Lord is gonna last forever. There's security in the word. There's direction in the word. There is power in the word and so it is that Moses understood the strength and the power that was there and you start realizing that that these are the words of God there's power in this old book my granny read it my great grandfather he preached it my parents read it I read it I had Bible college instructors that taught me brother Patterson has read it sister Patterson read it all of a lot of my kin folks have read it and you could say the very same thing about your people and about your kin folks here tonight that there's saints that are in the back that they have already passed to their reward and they were able to dig down and understand the power of the word of God. Hear me, church, that the Lord said there's a finish line to this thing, that there's a crown, there's strength in every one of the books of the word of God. There's life that's there and somewhere along the way, you've got to realize that Paul's words were not just his words. But here's the last thing that I tell you here tonight. That the words of Paul remind me about the hope again of the resurrection. How in the world could Paul manage to walk through? Think with me for just a moment. You remember whenever the Bible says that in Acts chapter 9 where that it speaks about him uh, on his way to Damascus and uh, he has that great event in his life and the great light shines and the Lord speaks to him and then he ends up there on straight street and and, uh, the Lord tells Ananias, I want you to go down there and I want you to speak to Paul. He, He said, but listen, to me. He said, you, you tell Paul that, that he is a vessel, that he is a, a unique instrument that I am going to use, but don't go tell him about all the great things that he's going to do. You just go and you tell him, Paul or Saul, brother Saul, you are going to suffer greatly for my name's sake. That, that's something that we don't like in the apostolic movement, but there was something about it that when Paul had that in the back of his mind, 
time whenever he was there in Antioch when the crowd tried to drown out his voice with blasphemy and contradiction and debate. He just kept on. He said, I know there's a finish line that is in front of me. Whenever he gets to Iconium and the envious Jews stir up the city to come against him and they do more than just criticize him. They do more than just hurt his feelings. He says there's something about it that I can get beyond this if there is no one that the finish line has the priority in my life and is stoning there in Lystra what made him get up again and to go forward there's a finish line whenever he withstood the error of Peter that you read about in the book of Galatians and confronted him face to face what could cause him to keep moving forward he said I know about a finish line hear me church there's times where you may get your tender little feelings hurt there's times when somebody may offend you but if you're going to make it through you know what you got to do you've got to say I've got to get a focus on a finish line because the reward is greater than the offense that I'm having to deal with right now the reward is greater than the dry times that I may be having in my life the reward is greater than the discouragement that I may be having to face in my heart and in my spirit there's something about it church that knowing that there's a finish line and that finish line what you got to do is you got to keep it in front of you forgive me for this personal reference whenever I went to TBC in uh, 1989 and uh, some of you heard this and some of you hadn't the champions haven't heard this so we got fresh blood, brother and sister champion. And, uh, and brother champion's mother has moved down here. And uh, she, she's going to be here with us. And we want to welcome her and, and just, just, just get her in. And y'all, we, we just need to do what we do. Um, but but in, in 1989, we moved out there. And the second night there, our, one of my idols got stolen. and. Uh, little Pontiac Fiero and, and stolen and stripped. And I remember to my great embarrassment now uh, that Teresa and I and Justin was three months old. We stood outside a big fence out there at Chuck Rather at Chevrolet on Interstate 45 and looked out at that car and no tires and all tore up. And, and I'm standing out there laying. I'm, I'm embarrassed to tell you this, okay? I was crying. <laughs> I was doing like Addie was before service tonight. She was, her mama got a hold of her and she was, and I was almost like that. I was looking at that car and I was, and I'm embarrassed to tell you that tonight, that that was an idol I had in my life. And I'm standing there crying about a stupid car. And uh, but but there was one thing, and I was talking to a minister yesterday. I said that there was a goal that I had, and that goal was this: was that I wanted to be the valedictorian in my class. 
uh, whenever I graduated three years later. And so I knew going into that that there was no room for laziness. There's no room for, for B's and C's. Everything has got to be an A. Every day when you get up, you have got to do your best. Why? Because I wanted to give the speech that night to our graduating class there in Houston. And, and uh, it was every day, it was like, okay, you got to do this assignment. You got to work on that paper. You got a test coming up and you've got working involved in all that. You got a family that you're trying to get situated. But out in front of me was that goal was I have got to be the one that I, when I get done with that, that I'm, that it's a 4.0. And uh, and and I was telling, I was talking about this message that I was going to preach to you here uh, tonight. And I told this this brother yesterday. I said that that now that that has changed over because that gold now uh, it, it doesn't make a hill of beans whether I was the valedictorian or whether I was the last guy that just barely got a cross and they handed me a diploma. Okay, none of that matters now. But let me tell you something. There's been something that has been replaced in my heart and in my spirit that says I have got to go to heaven and it doesn't matter what it costs me, it doesn't matter what embarrassment I may have to go through, it doesn't matter what offenses I may have to go through it doesn't matter if the world thinks that I am as they say taking water, then there's something about it that I've got to go to heaven that that is the most important goal in my life and if you can get that solidified in your mind and in your spirit here tonight I can tell you something you're going to make your calling and your election sure there's going to be some of us that are running along a little bit ahead of everybody else but I'm praying tonight that all of us in this church that we call the Pentecostals of Dothan that there's not a single one of us that are lost but that everybody in this church that somewhere along the way that you hit that finish line and you cross over and there is going to be a celebration oh is there going to be a celebration there's going to be joy you talk about noise you talk about power and strength you've got to think about what it's going to be like whenever you cross that finish line and you hear the Lord say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. It was the magnetism of the finish line. And in the last few hours of that closing storm in Paul's life, he knew that and he was about to be, that they were about to put him there either at the guillotine or they were going to take him and they were going to put him at the chopping block and they were going to separate, they were going to behead him. And Paul is knowing that that's happening in front of him. And all he's got to do is just to say, I recant. I don't believe what I said. I'll, I'll give up on all that. But it was not in Paul. Paul said, I'm going to tell you something. There's a, a race. There's a course. There's a fight. And I'm going to move forward with that. Justin and Nathan have gotten into where they're running and uh, I think Justin last night ran 12 or 13.6 miles. 
half a half a marathon. And um, and Nate, he's he's out there. He's not running that far, but he's out there limping around. And I think Brother Champion's been out with Justin some running out there at at uh, Westgate. And uh, Brandon's been out there running too. And uh, I'm gonna come out there and I'm gonna outrun all you guys. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come out there and leave y'all in the dust. <laughs> why, why are y'all so skeptical? Here, I've we was doing real good, and then I said that, and everybody's skeptical now. Y'all just like turn on a dime. Uh, but but Justin has told me about some of these people that will run these extreme races, and uh, they they are these guys, and even there are women. Uh, that they will get out and they will run a hundred miles. You can't imagine that. Run a hundred miles. I don't, 12, 14 hours that it takes them to run that distance. But there's something about it that whenever you start digging in to find out what it is that drives them, it, it is there is that part uh, that they begin to feel the pull of the finish line. That they begin to feel that, hey, that, that right now I may be cramping and right now I may feel like I don't have enough water and I don't feel like that I'm going to make it. I'm, I'm getting dizzy, but they keep on pressing. Why is that? It's because they want to finish that race that they have started out. And there's something about it that as they begin to stretch toward that finish line, I want to tell the church here tonight that there's something about it, that this life is made up by what you can see and sometimes by what you cannot see. But if you get the finish line in front of you and you just make a determination to say, you know what? I'm going to finish this job. I'm going to finish this task. I'm going to finish my marriage. I'm going to finish being a parent. I'm going to finish this church. I'm going to finish being an encouragement. I'm going to finish being somebody that gives myself to prayer then I'm going to tell you what if you start getting those things in your mind and you start saying that's the direction that I'm going and that's what I'm going to do I'm moving forward in that way because I'm going to finish this race I think I'd give a million dollars here's just a paramore singing that song I've started out I'm going to finish this race she used to sing that song back whenever I was a kid and there was something about it that whenever they would sing, that song would just get on the inside of you and, and you just feel like, hey, I'm gonna make it all the direction. I'm gonna conclude with this. There's something that's called kedging. It's a, it's a nautical term that they use and uh, they don't do it so much now that like they used to do in, in years past. But in those, when they, those ships used to be built out of wood whenever they would come up to a place where that uh, the 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 bottom the of the ocean or the river or whatever it was that they were traveling on that if it would get a little bit shallow what they would do was they would take the anchor and they would put it in one of the boats those little small john boats and they would take that that anchor and they would press it out in front of them and then they would drop it down and they would get it firmly in place and then what those men on that boat would do was they would get back there and they'd start 
turning, that big old huge disc that would begin to roll that line up and as they would begin to roll that up, what would it do? It would start pulling that ship along. It, it would be kind of like it was called it was called kedging, which it would pull them through all of the, the, the shallow spots and the rough spots. And, and uh, we don't normally think about an anchor being something that moves us in that direction. But do you remember what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter six and verses 18 and 19? He talks about that. He says that, that hope is like an anchor and so I want to encourage you tonight. I'm encouraging myself just as well that in this season where it looks like the church is different from what it has ever been before, that there's something about it, that knowing that there's seasons of life and that there's going to be time. It may feel like a low time right now in your life, not only in your prayer life, but in your worshiping. But listen to me. Don't give up on the Lord in a low season. You just make sure in your mind that there's some hope and that we're moving forward and there's coming a time that the power of God, he hadn't left, he hadn't gone anywhere, but the power and the spirit of God that we experienced maybe in years past or even in months past, it's gonna cycle back around and we're gonna be at that point and what's it gonna do? It's gonna cause you to look back and you say, you know what? There was a time called COVID-19. There was a time in my life whenever I experienced all of the calamities and the difficulties of life but you turn around and you look and you say here I am. You're just like Paul. You come through Iconium. You come through Lystra. You come through Corinth. You come through all the difficulties. You come through difficult job situations. You come through difficult financial situations. You come through times where your marriage felt like that it was on the rock, wayward children felt like it's like, Lord, what in the world are we gonna do with these kids? There's coming a time that what you've gotta do is you've gotta believe that there's a finish line, that there is something that is out in front of us. I'm not trying to hype you up here tonight. I'm just telling you what I believe, that there is a God that has filled me with the Spirit and he has filled you with the spirit and you don't have to put confidence in yourself you don't have to put confidence in me or brother Patterson you can put your confidence in God and in his church that the finish line we're gonna make it I want you to stand and just clap your hands to the Lord here tonight the joy the power the strength of the finish line church Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, I pray, Lord, tonight. Help every one of us, Jesus. Oh. oh, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. There's something about it, church. When we start clapping our hands we start opening our mouths and we begin to praise the Lord. I'm going to tell you something. You feel the strength and the power of the Spirit of God in your life. And I want to encourage you here tonight that the finish line, it's in sight.
finish line is in sight. And sometimes you have to do like David did in 1 Samuel 30. You just have to encourage yourself in the Lord and say, Lord, you're going to be with me. You're going to help me. You're with me every step of the way. And I'm going to make it. Let's lift our hands one more time, church.